I've got another beautiful essay by Rabindranath Tagore, the great Indian writer. The essay is called Shakuntala, which is based on a play written by ancient Indian poet Kalidasa. The name of the play was Shakuntala, and in this essay, Tagore analyzes the play and Kalidasa's writings. The reason that I am bringing up this essay is not only to talk about Tagore's writings, but also get into the ancient literature, some of the classical literature, and uh, analyze some of the literary gems we have with us. So I'm going to read certain interesting parts of this essay and uh, through them you'll get a sense of what Shakuntala, the Kalidasa's work, is all about and how Tagore is making its comparisons with Shakespearean Tempest. So here we go. Let me narrate some of the passages from the essay. It is natural to think of comparing Shakespeare's play Tempest with Shakuntala by Kalidasa. It is worth discussing the outward similarity and the difference in the interiority of the two. The love between Miranda living in the seclusion and Prince Ferdinand is similar to the love between Shakuntala brought up in a hermitage and King Dushmanta. There is also a resemblance of the places of incidence. In one is a secluded island surrounded by the sea and the other is a secluded hermitage in a forest. Like this, we find similarity in the forms of the stories, but when we read these attentively, we can feel that the plays are totally different from each other in essence. In his criticism of the play Shakuntala, Goethe, the guru of European poets, has in a single couplet written that Kalidas has not dissected the total poem in separate independent parts. Goethe's couplet is like a flicker of a flame of the lamp. But he has used this flicker to expose Shakuntala fully in a single moment. In a single sentence, he has commented that if someone wishes to see the flower of youth and the fruit of mature age and earth and heaven together, he will find it in Shakuntala. Many think of this comment as mere expression of emotion of a poet and take it lightly. They believe, more or less, that it means that according to Goethe, the epic is very enjoyable. But it is not merely so. This comment is not an effusive statement in joy. It is the thoughtful judgment of a wise man. There is depth in it. The poet has categorically said that there is a deep sense of progression in Shakuntala. That progression is flowering to fruition, progressing from earth to heaven and from habit to 
religion. In Meghdoot, which is another work by Kalidasa, there are the pre-monsoon clouds and the monsoon clouds. Riding on the pre-monsoon clouds, the traveller beholds the varieties of the beauty of earth and as the pre-monsoon clouds change into the monsoon cloud, he reaches Alakapuri to eternal beauty. Similarly, in Shakuntala, there is this pre-union and the ultimate union. The journey from a pre-union in restlessness of beauty described in the first act to the eternally happy ultimate union at the heavenly hermitage described in the last act is what is described in the play Abhigyan Shakuntalam. It is neither mere expression of feelings nor the exposition of character. It is poetry transcending from one world to another. To carry love from the amorous world to the eternal heavenly abode of goodness of beauty. Kalidas has established this union of heaven and earth very easily. He has caused flowers to turn to fruit naturally and he has extended the boundary of earth to heaven in such a way that no one can identify the dividing line between the two. The poet has not hesitated to show the blemish that caused Shakuntala's downfall in the first act of the play. He has very clearly shown the extreme desire in the attitudes of both Shakuntala and Dushmanta. The poet has fully expressed the attitude and dallying of youthfulness, the fight between shyness and mighty desire of self-exposure. These are examples of Shakuntala's simplicity. She was not prepared for the sudden emotions of desire and was not prepared to keep them in check or hide them. A deer is easily hunted when it does not recognize a hunter. Shakuntala did not know the god with five arrows and so her heart was unguarded. She did not disbelieve Kamdev or Dushmanta. In a forest known as the hunting ground, the hunted has to be very careful to hide. Similarly, in a society where man and woman always fall in love casually, the pious woman has to be careful. But in a hermitage, a deer has no fear and the hermit girl is carefree. In the play, Shakuntala's weakness has been depicted easily and at the same time the purity of her character. Her natural chastity has also been exposed as easily. This is also the example of her naivety. Dust collected on artificial flowers to decorate home needs to be cleaned every day. But no one needs to be engaged to clean the dust on a natural flower in the forest. It remains uncovered and dust collects on it. But it still remains beautiful and is unblemished. There was also dust on Shakuntala, but she did not even know about it. 
She is like the innocent forest deer or the flowing water of the fountain, unblemished despite being in contact with the dust. Kalidas has allowed the hermitage reared adolescent Shakuntala to walk the path with a mind free from any doubt. But at the same time, he has presented her as an ideal of, of a modest, sorrow-enduring, chaste woman. On the one hand, she has embraced selfless, carefree habit like the leaves, fruits and flowers of the forest tree. And on the other hand, the femininity of her inner self is restrained and patient. She is intent and controlled by the religion of goodness. Kalidasa, by his splendid cunning, has placed his heroine at the meeting point of a dallying and restrain, habit and rule, river and sea. Her father is a sage. Her mother is an apsara. She was born in, in the breaking of a vow by her parents and was brought up in the hermitage. The hermitage is the place where habit and meditation, beauty and restraint combine together. There is no unnatural dictate of a social system. And yet there is the stern rule of dharma. Gandharva marriage is also similar. There is the impetuous attitude, but there is also a social binding. Established at the meeting of restraint and unrestraint, the play Shakuntala has a unique beauty. All happiness, sorrow, union, separation in it are due to causal effect of the two. If we concentrate carefully, we will know why Goethe has seen the combination of two dissimilarities. The Tempest, on the other hand, does not have this theme. Why should it be there? Shakuntala is beautiful and so is Miranda, but why should one expect that they should be exactly similar? They are totally different from each other due to their situations and natures. Shakuntala did not suffer the loneliness of isolation like Miranda. Miranda had grown up in the lonely island with her father as her only companion and so her nature could not develop naturally. Shakuntala grew up in the company of friends of her own age, in the warmth of their relationship, exchange of ideas and thoughts, in laughter and sharing jokes. She had grown naturally. If Shakuntala had always to be alone with her foster father, her exposition would have been very, very restricted and her simplicity would really be her ignorance. Actually, Shakuntala's naivety was natural and Miranda's naivety was externally imposed on her. This is so because of the difference in their situations. Unlike Miranda's naivety, Shakuntala's naivety was not due to ignorance. We see in the first act that Shakuntala's youth had just bloomed and her zestful friends did not allow her to be unconcerned about it. But all these are external. Her simplicity is deeper and her purity is internal to her. 
The poet has shown to the last that no external experience has been able to touch her purity. It is not that she was not aware of family life because the hermitage is not really outside the society. Family life is also a part of the life in a hermitage. Shakuntala had not experienced it, but she was not ignorant about it. In her heart, she trusted and believed everybody. The trust of a simple soul had caused her downfall temporarily, but it had also salvaged her for all time. Even when heard by the most abominable betrayal, it had given her the strength to be steadfast in upholding goodness and pardoning the guilty. Miranda's simplicity was not tested. She did not have any knowledge about family. We have seen her only at the initial stage, but Kalidas has shown Shakuntala from the initial to the ultimate stage. We know that it is useless to compare the two plays in such a situation. If the two writings are to be placed side by side, we will see more dissimilarity than similarity. A discussion of these differences will help us to understand the two plays clearly. We have seen Miranda on the lonely mountain island splashed by sea waves, but she did not have any kinship with nature. If she is displaced from the place where she has spent her life since her childhood, it will not feel her absence. We do not find any emotional connection of her soul with the sea and the mountains. We see the lonely island only as a described by the poet. But we do not find it in Miranda's heart. This island was necessary only for the story, but was not so necessary for the character of the play. Miranda did not come into contact with humans. And this aspect has also been reflected in her character. The same cannot be said about Shakuntala. Shakuntala is a part of the hermitage and if the hermitage is, is kept aside, the story is disturbed and Shakuntala will be incomplete. Shakuntala did not live in isolation like Miranda. She was fully absorbed in her surrounding. Her sweet personality has absorbed and exposed in the shadow of the forest and the flowers of the creepers and was deeply engrossed in the natural friendliness of the animals and the birds. Kalidas has not set aside the external nature that he has described in his poetry. He has reflected this outside nature in the nature of Shakuntala. That is why I said that it is Difficult to separate Shakuntala from the surrounding described in the poetry. The principal identity of Miranda is in the matter of her love for Ferdinand and the compassion of her heart which she ex expressed seeing the distress of ill-fated ones at shipwreck in storm. Shakuntala's identity is much wider. Even if Dushmanta had not arrived, her beauty would have been expressed in various ways. The thread of her heart had tied all conscious and unconscious things beautifully. 
in watering the plants of the hermitage, see, she coronates them with her affection. She has with her affectionate stares received in her heart the youthful beauty of the moonlight of the forest. When Shakuntala was leaving the hermitage for her husband's palace, she felt her deep attachment with the entirety of the hermitage and was overburdened with sorrow at separation. Of all the literatures of the world, only in the fourth act of the Abhigyan Shakuntalam, the heartbreaking sadness of humans at separation from forest has been shown. In this epic, the union of human attitude with dharma is same as that of the union of man with nature. I reckon that with such unity in diversity is not only possible but reasonable in India and no other country except India. External nature has taken the form of aerial in tempest, yet it is not in kinship with humans. Its relationship with humans is like that of an unwilling servant. It wants to be free, but is ruled and bound by human force. So it is serving as a servant. There is no affection in its heart, no tears in its eyes. Miranda's female nature could not be affectionate to it. While taking leave of the island, Prospero and Miranda had no exchange of kind words with Ariel. There is torture, rule and taming in Tempest, but there is affection, peace and goodness in Shakuntala. Despite taking the shape of human, nature in Tempest did not connect with the heart of humans. And in Shakuntala, the trees and animals and birds, despite maintaining their own forms, have united with humans with sweet affinity. So that was it. That is not the complete essay. But I've written, uh, I've read certain, certain important parts of this essay, giving you a clear idea how, how the Indian philosophy not only affects the theology and uh, the literature, but the practical aspects of people's lives. And it continues to do so even today. That was the main point behind narrating this essay, that you understand the roots of the culture, where we are coming from. Then you get, a, get an idea of what we are doing and why we are doing what we are doing. It's a very interesting analysis that Tagore has done in this essay.